Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Joyce Erickson with BelieversBibleSchool.com. We're doing a Moments in Proverbs, and it is Tuesday, day number 32, and we are studying from the sixth chapter of Proverbs, verses 12 through 19. In today's teaching, we're going to be looking at seven things that the Lord hates. These are familiar things that the Lord calls in his eyes as wicked. But we as Christians think that these actions only pertain to wicked, pagan unbelievers in the Old Testament. But really, upon closer examination, we can see that this refers to anyone, Christian or unbeliever, and we are all guilty of doing these things that God hates. So why do we as believers or as Christians think that we don't fit into this category, thinking our actions are different, excusable, and would not be classified as wicked? And certainly, God would not call his own people wicked. I'm going to read from Proverbs 6, verses 12 through 15. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. King Solomon was either speaking to his son or he could have been speaking from his throne to his own people, the Israelites, the Jews, who were all part of the family of God under the law of Moses. And he was giving them the wisdom of God and how to behave. These people, they were God's people who followed the Mosaic law, and they were part of the covenant of God. The question is then, would God call his own people worthless and wicked? Well, yes, we see that throughout the Old Testament that whenever God's people violated the law of Moses, he called them wicked and it was an abomination. So then this shows us that everyone, because of the sin nature in man, regardless of whether they are of the family of God or they follow Satan, can do worthless, wicked things that God hates. And their heart and behavior will eventually bring on their own calamity. And if they do not repent, they will come to their own ruin. We are all vulnerable to the ploys of the enemy. It begins in the heart and is carried out through our actions. None of us are obedient to all of God's laws, no matter if we are under the old or the new covenant. So let's now examine these seven things that God hates and to see how we as Christians are not so innocent here. We already know that unbelievers act in this kind of behavior, but remember, this scripture is written to God's people. So then, isn't this a good time for you and I, as believers in Christ Jesus, to also examine our hearts and our behavior? 
because we are not without fault here. So let me read them from Proverbs 16, verses 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. So can we examine now each one of these seven abominations that the Lord hates and then look at into our own heart as we reflect on them? Please, I'm not speaking of just you out there or we. I am certainly including myself in on this because I am just as guilty as any other believer. So the first one. A proud look. I wonder if the Lord listed pride here as the first on his list of things that he hates for a reason. Is there a difference between pride and a proud look? Well, what goes on in the heart is reflected on how we look and the word of God says that whatever is in our heart does come out of our mouth. Matthew fifteen eighteen says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Pride is probably the worst sin of all, which began with the fall of Satan because he wanted to become like God. Pride thinks that you or I have all the answers, and we are above those who don't. That kind of arrogance will express itself on our face as well as our actions. Pride killed Jesus on the cross, but Jesus chose to forgive his persecutors, having compassion on them, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He died in shame while prideful religious leaders of the law screamed to have him crucified. How many times have you, or me, either heard or had part in someone saying something bad about another believer and you, in your heart, was smug, thinking that, oh, you would never do something like this? Well, that's pride. Then, do you choose to gossip about that person as well, now adding two sins to your list of things to repent of? Let me ask you, are you prejudiced in any way? I ask myself that same question. Now, I'm not talking just about race or ethnicity. I'm talking about your neighbor may, who may be less fortunate than you or a co-worker you just don't like for whatever reason, or maybe someone at church that you heard some juicy gossip about and you chose to listen and hear more and believe it, now thinking you are better than them? We could go on and on and on about pride, but let me finish by saying, do you in any way 
think yourself better than anyone else? Do I? Do you think that you have all the answers looking down on others who don't think like you? Can we check our heart? Because we're dealing with pride here. Proverbs 27:19 says, "As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Our hearts do give us away." All right, number 2, a lying tongue. We are all guilty here whether we want to admit it or not. You and including me may think that we don't lie, but how often have we stretched the truth just to make things sound a little better or to make ourselves look a little better? Or how often have you spread some gossip that you heard someone to say about someone where first of all you don't even know if it's fact whether it's true or not because gossip has a propensity of stretching the truth to where it can become a downright lie as it goes from one person to the next. And secondly, is it being spread without the person's permission? So then, how do we counteract gossip when we hear someone speak it out of their mouth? Well, you can turn away, walk away or change the subject, or maybe you could say that's gossip and that needs to stop. Or you could respond by saying, "Does so and so, whoever that person is, do they know that you are talking about them in this way?" Do you have their permission to say this? That'll stop gossip in its tracks. Why don't we go together and talk to this person to verify that what you are saying is truth? Hmm. The mouth is a wicked tool of the enemy, and lying against anyone is a sin, and it is an abomination against God. So, if you are guilty of any of this, repent and ask God to forgive you. Remember, we live in an age of grace because Jesus shed His blood for our sins, so that we can have forgiveness of sins. All we need to do is repent, confess it. As a sin, and the Bible says we are forgiven. Then Jesus says, "Go and sin no more." As Christians, we are called to edify and to lift one another up, not lie against one another. Believers need to be united together in love, where we continuously reach out to lift up another believer. Ephesians four twenty nine in the ESV version says, "Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only as such as is good for building up, as fit the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear." Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Our minds automatically go to the thought of someone intentionally going out and killing someone, but this abomination is far more than first-degree murder, because God says hands that shed innocent blood. That would mean any sort of killing of anyone who was innocent. 
that is an abomination uh, to God. And the only exception that I can see scripturally is the killing of the enemy during wartime. God often had and still has his people go to war with the enemy and bloodshed uh, bloodshed is, uh, is spread. So some things maybe a Christian may may not have thought of, but what about abortion? The killing of vulnerable, innocent, unborn children. While abortion may be legal in some states and even some churches accept it as a part of life, it is still murder of an innocent child, and it is murder in the eyes of God. So what I say to you is... If you have had an abortion, confess it to God as a sin and allow him to forgive you. And then please, please, please forgive yourself. Remember, Jesus shed his blood for your sins and he wants you to be free of those sins. And in the eyes of God, all sin needs to be repented of and as you confess it with your heart, with your heart, he forgives you of that sin. Then as Jesus said to so many people, as he ministered to them, go out and sin no more. Now, what if you've been involved or um, in, if you're in the medical field where abortions are performed, whether it be hospitals or clinics, uh, otherwise, you too are involved in the killing of innocent blood. Again, repent it uh, of that sin, confess it, get, and then get out of that part of the medical field and seek to bring health and wholeness to those you treat instead of killing the innocent. Recently, with the spread of COVID and vaccines, certain medical procedures have killed countless of innocent lives, from infants to adults. And again, check your heart. If God convicts you of a sin, repent. Confess it as sin, stop it, and instead seek to bring health and healing to those who suffer. Remember, Jesus died for your sins so that you can live in freedom as you travel through life. Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. Again, here is one that most Christians will say, I don't, I don't devise wicked plans in my heart. Well, think again. How many times has someone hurt you? In the middle of the night, you are dwelling on that hurt, and in your mind, you are planning on how you're going to get even. Now, granted, you generally don't follow through with those plans, but your heart was actively involved with devising wicked plans during the night, and God still considers that an abomination because we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so what you did, you allowed your flesh to try to get even by devising plans against someone who has hurt you, not intending to follow through. But if you allow those thoughts to continue, you could end up pursuing that kind of damage. 
Proverbs 4.23 in the NLT says, Guard your heart, and above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Number five, feet that are swift in running to evil. While as Christians we may not intentionally and purposely set out to do evil, our hearts may tell us otherwise. Feet that are swift in running to evil can refer to anything that God considers evil. Evil is anything that is contrary to the will of God. And how many times have we intentionally sought out to do something that we knew was sin? For someone caught up in drugs, you could be looking for a drug dealer. For someone caught up in uh, promiscuity, seeking to have sex with someone outside of marriage, or even seeking out to have that extra piece of pecan pie, knowing it was bad for your health, therefore you're now being involved in gluttony. Do you get it? While we may look at sin in varying degrees, and having that second piece of pie was just a little sin, except God still looks at sin as sin. There are no degrees of sin in the eyes of God. Sin is sin. But repentance, repentance is a wonderful gift that God has given us. Living a life of repentance is an awesome way to live. Every time we sin, we confess it as sin, knowing that God forgives us. But we're also purposing not to do the sin again. While we may fail, Jesus is all Oh, he's always there ready to receive our repentance again because he loves us and he wants the best for us. Number six, a false witness who speaks lies. According to freedictionary.com, a false witness is a person who deliberately gives false testimony, perjurer, liar, prevaricator, a person who has lied or lies repeatedly. So then, a false witness is someone who has had, uh, who has, it's more than just lying on the witness stand. A false witness can be someone who keeps lying over and over again. It could be the same lie that's being told, just done repetitively, or one who continuously lies about many different things for whatever reason. Either way, God considers a false witness who speaks lies an abomination, and it is against a sin against oneself as well as a sin against God. And again, the antidote is repentance for this sin, knowing that Jesus is ready to forgive us as long as our heart truly means to repent. Number seven, one who sows discord among the brethren. Human beings, they never change. Whether they belong to the family of God or they're out there in the world under the guise of Satan, Sowing discord among those around us is an area where many believers fall short. The world, the world is continuously against one another. However, God commands the church to get along, lift up one another, and not to sow discord among each other. 
The Bible here is specifically talking about, however, established sin in one's life, not a doctrinal disagreement. And the Word of God gives us instructions on how to handle this kind of discord in the church. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us, first of all, go to the person where there is any disagreement to try to work out, work through whatever the issue may be. The purpose, the purpose is for repentance in the one who sinned and for unity to be restored back in the church. But if going to that person who sinned against you, um, nothing came out of it or it even gotten worse, then number two, go to the church to talk to the pastor, the leaders, to help this person who's sinned to recognize that sin by the agreement of two or three witnesses as support. And if that does not happen, then for the sake of unity of the church, separation needs to happen so that the church does not get involved in that sin. And often, it is best that the one who sin quietly leave the church. And the scripture to support that comes from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. And if your brother or, sin, or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, to correctly understand these scriptures, it needs to be noted that we live in a day where there are many, so many denominations and beliefs that are accepted within the church at large. However, they all disagree with one another in varying doctrines. This is why we have so many different denominations, and the discord keeps getting larger the more people disagree. Now, discord over Bible or church doctrine is not what this scripture is referring to. But since this can cause great discord within the church, I think we need to talk about it. When there are people within the church who disagree with the leadership of the church over church or Bible doctrine, it can be very divisive for the whole congregation. Since it is important to keep unity within the church, if you find yourself in a position of differing from the leadership of the church, and you believe in your heart that what you believe is the word of God, the best thing to do is quietly leave and then find a church that supports your beliefs of what you believe the word of God is saying. You see, church splits have happened when members of the church differ with the leadership of the church, bringing on gossip and lies, and it divides a church, and sometimes even brings the church to total ruin, and God hates a divided church. In our journey of faith, there may be times when we find ourselves in a position where the church that we have attended no longer fulfills our spiritual needs, or we discover scriptural error within the church. 
Instead of trying to change the church leadership, causing division within the church, this is where prayer becomes so important as we need to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit as to what to do. If you have it in your heart that God is moving you on, seek God for his direction. Seeking him for the right church he has designed for you, for you to be in. Leaving the church needs to be done quietly and reverently, respecting one another as we continue our journey of faith. God has a place for all believers because he instructs us not to forsake the assembling together as believers, just as Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The church needs to be a place where we can grow in our faith, edify one another, holding each other up in times of trouble, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another, or just be there to support each other. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. The church plays a vital role in the advancement of the gospel to the world. The church plays a vital part of our own personal growth in our relationship with Christ. We need the church, and it needs to be united. When the church is divided, this takes away from unity, and the world sees the church as no different than the world. This is something that none of us want. So in closing... The seven abominable sins that the Lord hates. Let's rejoice that the gift of repentance belongs to all of us believers in Christ Jesus because none of us have to live in our sins but be forgiven and walk in the freedom of being whom God has called each one of us to be in. So if you found yourself in any one of these sins, I implore you, Repent so that you can be forgiven, so that you can move on and walk in the freedom that Jesus has for you. Glory to God. So that's all I have for today. It was lengthy, but I could not, <clears throat> excuse me, I could not break this up because it was all one unit. So until tomorrow, God bless you. And um, we will talk to you then. This is Pastor Joyce Erickson with BelieversBibleSchool.com in Moments in Proverbs. Bye-bye.